Alan, you know what the worst thing in the world is, right? I could guess. <laughs> I'll save you the trouble. It's moving. Moving is the worst thing in the world. It's pretty bad. Yeah. So we, I'm not moving, but we had to clear out my study and a bunch of stuff from our basement uh, to make some room in the house recently. And so we got movers to take it because I am a man of leisure in some means. Mm -hmm. uh, we had some cheap ass movers come. Excuse me, sir. I'm rather middling to well to do. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'd like to contract your workmen. Now, I, can you assure me their dirty clothes won't get all over my chaise longue? <laughs> pretty much it. That's exactly how it went. And um, the worst thing is I, I decided not to take the day off because my wife was taking the day off. And so she could direct them. And I was like, OK, I can work. I don't have to take the day off. But a huge part of the work was clearing out the library in my study and taking all the books out. They they all tried to carry two at once and none of them could carry two of them. So like they, yeah. and there were about a dozen boxes and they all headed down to the truck finally and everything was down. And I noticed there was this small box about the size of like two shoe boxes okay. um, of trinkets that I had packed up and they had left it by accident. I'm sorry, trinkets? <laughs> yeah, you know, various trinkets that I've collected over my adventures over the years. Shelf stuff, you know, I had a Tribble, um, maybe some Funko figures, uh, okay. that kind of thing. Your various pops. Yeah, your various pops, uh, maybe a, a Zoom Zoom or two. Um, and um, I ran down to the truck and I'm up going up the ramp with this little box after they've done all the other boxes. And I'm like, uh, here you go. You guys forgot this. And they all looked at me. And the one guy just says, oh, you carried that down all by yourself, huh? <laughs> and then I tipped them for making fun of me. Mm. And I took that rage and I did the manliest thing I could think of with it. I complained about it on my podcast. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> it's time. Time for a thrilling story of romance. Adventure. Mystery. Anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hello, and welcome to the show that usually ends another episode of Interrupted Tales, the podcast where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I am Rob, and I'm joined tonight by my Fellow bon vivant, Alan. How are you, Alan? I'm in it to win it. <laughs> nice. She dares wins. <laughs> Where eagles dare. I. That's all I got. This week, uh, this week we have a shadowy tale from the January 1943 issue of Amazing Stories, Alan, and it's called "The Chameleon Man" by William P. McGivern. Okay who also wrote for Kojak. Just yeah. a little side and note there. He wrote The Big Heat. Yeah, he did write The Big Heat, which is a little better than writing Kojak, maybe. I mean, I don't think Tully Savalas would say that <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you interviewed him hey. at the Diners Club. <laughs> or was he the Players Club? I, which I think, card did he have? I think it was the Players Club. 
This is totally some Alice for the for Players, the players club. club. They'll know you're a man of action when you use Yeah, the big heat was okay. Club. All right. But have you seen Kojak? <laughs> Did you see on Her Majesty's Secret Service? I was great. Listen, I, I was one out of 19 Blofelds. <laughs> And one Don't of them, one of them, you didn't even see his face. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's get to this week's tale, Alan, and because it's uh, it's time to grab a drink and curl up in your favorite chair while we read you this week's tale. I've got an office in the Daily Standard building, and sometimes when things are slow in my line, theatrical bookings... Uh, hello? No, we don't have Hamilton tickets. Goodbye. <laughs> hello? No, we don't have Hamilton tickets. Goodbye. <laughs> a lot of phone work there. Uh, I drift upstairs and talk to the guy who writes the column, the soldier's friend for the Standard. Dear soldier's friend... My friends, who are all bachelors, can't stand my new fiancé and tell me I've made a mistake. How can I get them to see that they are projecting their fear of commitment onto me? Also, do you have any home remedies for being shot in the stomach three times (laughs) after your patrol gets ambushed and your medic died of malaria two weeks back? Signed, gangrened in Guadalcanal. (laughs) I really hope that's a daily column. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you could get back to me quickly, that would be great. (laughs) On this particular morning, I walked into his office and found it empty. So I sat down and waited, figuring he was downstairs getting a mug of coffee. After I cleaned my nails and glanced through Jake's mail, I propped my feet up on the desk and relaxed. Gross! (laughs) Since it seemed like he might be a while, I pulled out my bunion shaver and went to town. (laughs) I made sure to get all the nail clippings directly on his uh, typewriter. Oh, under the keys and everything? Oh, Things in my line were strictly stinkaroo. With the army taking an option on every available hunk of male flesh, it made it pretty tough to get acts together. Of course, I still had a few dollies to peddle, but the situation didn't look too good there. What with the waves and the wax and the demand from factories for powder puff riveters. Okay. Now, that probably sounds incredibly sexist to you, Rob, but uh, historically, those were the official draft class designations for women based on the last digit of their social security number. So if you were a one, you were a powder puff riveter. Uh Two, you were sweet cheeks who worked at an (laughs) aid station. (laughs) Uh, three, those were hoochie mamas, and they went into the motor pool, you know, etc. Uh, it's like when they call a medic a bedpan commando. It's uh, <laughs> just sort of a cheeky sign of disrespect. <laughs> I sighed and mood- moodily contemplated my uncreased trouser legs and thought of my non-existent bank balance. Whoever said war was hell sure hit the nail on the head. Uh, yeah. Whoever said war is hell was definitely thinking of this jackass sitting on his ass, <laughs> lamenting that all the vaudeville acts he knows died in Operation Market Garden. Oh, the stories he's going to have after the war. <sighs> the door opened and I heard a shuffle of footsteps on the floor. I tipped my derby back and looked up, expecting to see Jake. But the office was empty. 
The door was standing open, and I scratched my head. Maybe it had blown open. Uh, very common in the upper stories of office buildings, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the air conditioning's really, really turned on again. He's living the rough life of war, Alan. Then I remembered the sound of footsteps I'd heard, and my bewilderment increased. Hello, a voice said. My feet came down from the desk with a crash. I sat up straight and stared about the small room. Who said that? I demanded. I did. I'm right here. It was the same voice, and I jerked my head in the direction of the sound. Ugh, is, is this a great gazoo episode? <laughs> I mean, it completely changes the entire premise of the show. I mean, first they're cavemen, and now there's a Martian? What were they thinking? Well, this was before the Martians went extinct, as we learned. Uh, in... No, no, I don't want to hear your stack reverse time continuum story, okay? <laughs> but it turned out they were from the future. All right, come on. For an instant, I didn't see a thing. But then, my eyes suddenly seemed to focus, and I saw a tall, lanky young man standing a few feet from me. He had a shock of straw-colored hair and mild blue eyes. He wore a light suit. Can you see me now? he asked, and his voice sounded strained, as if he were exerting himself in some manner. Like he was trying to fix a teleconferencing system he was unused to and had to put it through a bunch of VGA to HDMI mini to display port adapters. <laughs> okay, I don't know, maybe you should try the DVI port. <laughs> this strikes too close to home. Yes, I can see you, I said. I was a little nettled. What do you mean, coming in and scaring people that way? I'm sorry, he said. I didn't mean to scare you. I, I just can't help it. I, I'll have to relax now. Uh, okay. Uh, namaste. <laughs> You'll have to what? Are you? I broke off and goggled. The young man had completely disappeared. My forehead was suddenly damp with nervous perspiration. I closed my eyes and forced myself to think calmly. This was some trick of my imagination. Well? I'd been working too hard. Nope. My nerves were shot. Mm -mm. I'd have to take a rest. Mm. Namaste. Welcome. You look tired. Come right in and relax your body in our uh, 110 degree sweat temple. Ah, oh, no, it's Bikram. <laughs> Fuck a, me. That's how I get you. Ugh. I opened my eyes cautiously. The room was empty. I drew a relieved breath. I'm sorry if I frightened you, a familiar voice said apologetically. But you see, I can't help it. As you can see, he can't. <laughs> you know, I do love a little GMM to start the morning. Uh, that collar thing is bullshit, though. <laughs> I stood up warily and peered about the room. Where are you? I whispered. Right here in front of you. If you're a mahout for pink elephants, I don't want to see you, I said. You know, I don't think I ever expected to read a story and think, hmm. That's a timely Dumbo reference. <laughs> You're right, actually. Spot on. Go away. Please, the young man's voice was plaintive. I need your advice. I'm in trouble. Mm, pregnant with an invisible child. We see it all the time. Oh. Or we don't see it all the time. <laughs> That's right. I've not seen many Mori episodes about it. 
That's too bad, I said, edging towards the door. Please, listen to me. There's nothing to be afraid of. Oh yeah, there's very little chance you're going to get caught up in a Nazi plot to use my technology to create an army of invisible super soldiers. Sounds very little to me. It's slim to possible. <laughs> From your viewpoint, no. If you look carefully, you can see me, the voice said. That's what bothers most people. I mean, not being able to see me. Hey, if you could bottle that, I could sell it to my ex-wife for a million dollars. She doesn't like to see me. <laughs> How stupid of them to be bothered by a little thing like that, I said, trying not to gibber. But in spite of my common sense, I did peer closely at the area the young man had occupied, and I saw a very remarkable thing. I saw the vague, indistinct shape of the straw-haired, blue-eyed young man standing exactly where I'd seen him the first time. But the effect was so uncertain and shadowy that I was hardly able to trust my eyes. The young man seemed to blend into the background, which happened to be a desk, water cooler, and a wall, so evenly and completely that it was impossible to see him at all. Yes, his natural coloration just happens to exactly match a hang-in-there-baby poster. Isn't nature extraordinary? So many magical miracles, Alan. But even so, seeing him, however fuzzily, was a relief. It's a good trick, I said cautiously. It's not a trick, the young man said aggrieved. It's something I can't help. Like getting the hiccups, or getting the urge to cover myself in several buckets of chameleon spit, which is definitely not how I got these powers. <laughs> several buckets. Well, once you <laughs> put one bucket on, it's... You might as well just go with the rest. I just wonder, how many chameleons is it per bucket? That's a lot of chameleons. <laughs> you know, I work in the chameleon import industry, so it's <laughs> it's a living. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, how does it happen that I was able to see you when you came in? I was exerting my willpower, the young man said. But that's awfully tiring. I had to relax a moment or so, and when I did, you weren't able to see me quite so distinctly. I found my curiosity stirring. Maybe the guy was a crackpot or phony, but it wouldn't hurt to hear his story. In my line, with things as lean as they are, you can't afford to miss any bets. Oh yeah, this guy's gonna be huge. No, I'm sorry, sir, there are no refunds. But I sat there for 75 minutes and there was absolutely nothing on stage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What makes you pop on and off? It's like King Kong. Like he's just gonna, you're just gonna pay a lot of money to sit there and look at something. No, you're not. <laughs> what makes you pop on and off like an electric light? I asked. Must be a tiring way to go through life. You don't know the half of it, the young man said mournfully. I've only been this way for a few months, but it seems like it's been years. Yeah, there's. Really only so many bank vaults and locker rooms you can hang out in before one day just blends into the next. I don't know. I think there's an awful lot of locker rooms. Maybe that's just me. Okay, it's finite. <laughs> well, go on, I said. Spill your troubles. Why should Mr. Anthony have all the fun? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> Never mind. Shoot. I'm not sure what causes me to fade out like this, 
I've been to a half dozen doctors and psychiatrists, and they aren't sure either. Oh, okay. Listen, I'm all for mental health, but I kind of doubt the answer to your invisibility problem is that you need to stop resenting your mother and accept she's doing her best. I, you have to admit, though, it doesn't hurt. Mm, I can't think of an invisibility-based pun on why it would hurt, so I'm... Well, she always made him feel so small. Like he wasn't there at all. All right, well, maybe. I guess we could... Ah, uh, forget it. But it has something to do with personality development, they think. The last psychiatrist I visited told me that I had a very colorless personality and abnormal inhibitions and frustrations. He said that my present condition was a physical manifestation of my colorless personality. Oh, finally we get a hard sci-fi story in the mix, Rob. <laughs> Are you sure this wasn't ghost-written by Arthur C. Clarke? <laughs> I shook my head disgustedly. That sounds about as asinine as the droolings of the average psychiatrist, I muttered. He didn't know and spent an hour saying so, I'll bet. It's awful. The young man sighed disconsolately. I can make myself visible for a little while, but it's awfully tiring. The rest of the time I go around like a ghost. I blend into the background so completely that people just don't notice me at all. It's just like not being alive. Or like being Alexa. Turn on your own damn lights, genie. <laughs> uh, so there's a footnote here. <laughs> okay, okay, good. The editor's going to bring in some rational input back into this fanciful story. Remind us, it's all in good fun, so I'll, I'm just going to hold off making any jokes out of respect for the pursuit of knowledge. <clears throat> I think that's important. This is, okay. of course, why this podcast exists. It exists yes. to teach America more about science. <clears throat> the young man's peculiar physical condition is not as fantastic and unprecedented as one might first believe. Everyone has had the experience of meeting a person who makes almost no impression whatsoever on them. Yeah, sure. People with such anemia of the personality are constantly being forgotten, overlooked even by friends who know them well. Their presence in a room will be unobserved for several minutes, and frequently, such people will be completely ignored, even when they are sitting or standing in plain view. It, in nature, the chameleon has similar properties, but for a definite reason— namely that of defense against its stronger enemies. The chameleon blends perfectly into the brown and green foliage of its native habitat, and even the marvelously keen eye of its natural enemies are unable to detect its presence. It is not impossible to conceive that the same camouflaging property could develop in a human being. Nature might appreciate the difficulty of a retiring, sensitive person to mingle with his own vivid fellow creatures and so clothe him with a defensive armor of practical invisibility to insulate him against the attacks of those with stronger personalities. Readers of Fantastic Adventures will remember John York Cabot's classic The Man the World Forgot as an exposition of this theme. Unexplained instances of men and women disappearing from normal environments might be simply cases of submerged personalities, which did not disappear, but were simply and tragically forgotten the editor well uh, it seems like my faith in the amazing stories editorial board was misplaced <laughs> to say the least i studied the vague shape of the young man carefully i could see him 
but only by straining my eyes. The whole thing was amazing. Looking carefully, I realized that the young man was not invisible. He was just easy to miss, because he was so inconspicuously blended into the background of the office. He'll probably have a fine time on a patchwork quilt, I said. No, serious, does that do it for you? Huh? No <laughs> I give you a little something, right? Ah, it's a fine time. The young man shuddered. Please don't joke, he said imploringly. I'm in real trouble. I need help. I'll say you do, I said, but I don't see what I can do for you. Huh? Huh? Mm -hmm. It's this, the young man said. My draft board just deferred me with a 4F classification. They told me I wouldn't be any good in my present shape. So there. Well, it's true. He's liable to be shot by accident. Of course, by accident is the only way he's liable to be shot. <laughs> uh, so, wait, how many people know about this particular uh, guy? You got the army? <laughs> You've got several psychiatrists and doctors. You've got random people hanging out in newspaper offices. Mm -hmm. He's not doing a very good job of being invisible. I'm just putting it out there. I agree. It's a wonder he hasn't been scooped up by Broadway before. <laughs> I looked at the young phantom. Well, go on. Go on. That's all there is to it. They rejected me. They won't take me. And that's your problem. Naturally. I shook my head. Takes all kinds, I guess. Now listen to me, I said. If the army doesn't want you, consider yourself lucky. Now the navy, on the other hand, if, if they don't want you, you must really be worthless. Oh, oh, zang. Oh. But I want to get in, the young man protested. I won't feel right until I am in service. You left that psychiatrist too soon, I muttered. Anyway, what do you expect me to do? Why, I was sure you could help me, the young man said. You're the soldier's friend, aren't you? You write the column of advice to the Yanks in the Standard, don't you? I got it then. This Wraith thought I was the soldier's friend. That's why he was spilling himself to me. He continued. You know all the angles of the various branches of the service, and I hoped you'd be able to recommend some branch that could use me. Hmm. Okay, well, there's the Corps of Engineers, mm -hmm. uh, but you're not an engineer. Nope, nope. There's the Airborne, but you're not a parachuter. Also, they'd be able to see the parachute completely worthless. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Then there's the OSS, but you're not able to invisibly infiltrate your way and spy on enemy communications. So, <laughs> you know, I think you're out of luck, buddy. I think he's not talking to the right people in the military. I could be wrong. Yeah, he'd be great on KP duty. <laughs> I'm willing to do anything or go anywhere. If you'll help me, I'll put myself completely in your hands. Now, just a minute, I said. You've got the wrong idea. The guy you want to see. I closed my big mouth with a snap. What was wrong with me? Were my brains on a permanent vacation? Here was opportunity, hammering and banging at my door, and I was too deaf to hear a sound. This hard-to-see young man was a natural for show business. Finally, after four productions that Variety called hard-to-see, this one really will be. <laughs> uh, 
I already had an act lined up that he would fit as neatly as five fingers in a glove, and he was practically begging me to take him under my wing. Young man, I said, you impress me as being sincere and earnest, and for that reason, I'm going to try and help you. Oh, gosh, thanks. Gomer Pyle, U.S. no see. <laughs> Oh, oh, golly. That's a good one. Oh, golly, Sarge. (laughs) Who's... Well, I'm standing right here, Sarge. Pile! Where are you? No, I'm right behind you, sir. Why is that hat floating in the air, Pile? (laughs) (laughs) It's the least I can do, I said. But, I added sternly. You've got to put yourself completely in my hands. You mustn't question a thing I tell you to do. You see, this isn't going to be easy. I'll have to go about it in a rather roundabout way, and it may take a while. Oh, I don't care, the young man said happily. Anything you say is all right with me. I mean that. Being invisible, you hear a lot of inappropriate things. A lot. (laughs) About the Dutch. (laughs) waffle eating bastards fine i glanced at my watch we've got to go now you follow me sure mr flanagan i said automatically but mr flanagan that isn't the name you use on your column naturally I said, very sharp of you to catch that. I might get you into intelligence, even if only as a decoy. Yeah, and I could get this guy a job in the JAG office. Ah. The name I use on the column is a pseudonym. Oh, now come along with me. I hurriedly got my young phantom out of the soldier's friend office before anyone could butt in and ruin everything. When we were safely ensconced in my own office, I waved the young man to a chair. What's your name? I asked. Horatio Healy, he replied. And while Horatio Healy never sold his grand vision of motorized infantry boots to the military, his grandson Skechers Healy made millions off the idea with another audience. Kids. (laughs) Scourge of mouths everywhere. I was becoming more enthused every minute. Looking at him, or trying to look at him seated in a chair, convinced me of his enormous potentialities. The chair was brown leather, and at first glance, the only thing that indicated that it was occupied was a slight indentation in the seat and back of the chair. That was the invisible man's downfall. He never worked out the butt crease problem. (laughs) You know, I got to agree that is the invisible man's downfall. Horatio blended in perfectly with the deep brown of the chair, and his face, which stuck up six or eight inches, was invisible against the grayness of the wall. Maybe you could get me into the Coast Guard, he said. I mean, the enemy's not going to know you're guarding it. It's an ineffective deterrent. (laughs) Oh my god, Captain Himmel, who is piloting that boat? There's nobody there. That's my German accent. Thank you. Well, I mean, usually you say that after somebody says a compliment about your German accent. (laughs) That's never going to happen. 
I frowned. I hardly think so, I said. I know the commander over there, but I don't think I could swing it. Now remember, you're going to leave everything in my hands. My slimy, slimy hands. The door of my office opened, and a slim, stunning blonde walked in, followed by a tall, gaunt, sober individual with a gloomy face and deep black eyes. He wore a turban with an imitation jewel set in the center folds, squarely over his high forehead. Ah, this character cried. I suppose again you will tell me there's nothing for Mistifio the Great today. I keep telling you, the job where you sit in a box all day and hand people fortune cards is already taken by three levers, and they like the job security. <laughs> Ixnay, I snapped. Achay up ye. The blonde looked at me, eyebrows raising. What gives, Master Mind? This was the act I had in mind for Horatio. Mistifio was a fair magician, and his line of patter wasn't bad. The blonde, whose name was Alice, acted as a prop. Oh, like David Arquette. Wait, you said acted as well as a prop, right? <laughs> take that, David Arquette. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'd like to take this opportunity to apologize to David Arquette. Frequent podcast listener and... You know, affable guy. Hey, Eight-Legged Freaks, uh, Scream, the Scream movies. He does all right for himself. And he's Mm -hmm. terrible. And with her looks and Mistifio's line, they didn't do badly. But with Horatio in the act, it would be tremendous. He would blend perfectly into the stage background. Invisible, he could assist Mistifio with the hocus-pocus and really produce some wonderful effects. This? Fucking idiot. <laughs> He's got an invisible man as a stage hand. <laughs> so you're telling me your dog can carry on complete conversations in English. I got a great idea. I'm going to pair him with a bad ventriloquist, and no one will know it's actually the dog throwing his voice. <laughs> Genius. I'm going to sign you up. <laughs> Alice was still looking at me as if I'd gone patty. Just trust Uncle. I said hastily. I got a great new angle for your act. You act as if you've been out in the sun too long, Alice murmured, but don't mind me. With a weary sigh, she sank into the deep brown leather chair, and one-tenth of a second later she leaped to her feet with a scream. She wheeled about, hand raised to slap, and then, as she stared at the seemingly empty chair, an expression of wonderment stole over her pretty face. Okay, we... We have a fabulous illustration yeah. here. Uh, but what I like best is that the completely invisible man is not only wearing a suit, but has a pocket square and what I believe is a two tips up fold. Yeah. I'm debating whether I should switch from gym to cargo shorts when I go out to the Target. <laughs> and let me tell you, cargo shorts lose two thirds <laughs> of the time. He's a dapper, invisible man. No reason not to hit the town dressed to the nines. Well, he's dressing for himself, you know. Exactly, exactly. You f- you look good, you feel good. What? I could have sworn I... She turned to me pleadingly. What is it? Am I going screwy, or is there somebody sitting in that chair? Oh, no. It's, a, it's actually just a really uncomfortable chair, but I got it from Design Within Reach, and I thought they might judge me if I bring it back, so. <laughs> Horatio, 
I said. Exert a little willpower and show yourself. It's a little Corbusier. Am I saying that right? I got, I got to learn how to say it right before I take it back. <laughs> All right, Mr. Flanagan. Horatio's voice from the chair answered. Mistifio nervously moved toward the door. I don't believe it, he said. His broad, dark face was an unhappy mixture of fear and surprise. Like a father who had resigned himself to take his daughters to Despicable Me 3, but instead gets convinced to take them to the Emoji Movie. Oof. What is such horror? Fear and surprise. Well, I'll be darned, Alice cried. She was staring at the chair, or rather at Horatio, who had suddenly become visible. I made the introductions quickly. Now that's enough, Horatio, I said. You can turn yourself off again. I don't want you to wear out. Thanks, Horatio said gratefully. He smiled faintly at Alice. Pleased to have met you, he said. Then he vanished into the brown background of the chair. Just for the record, uh, occupado. <laughs> Get me a drink, Mistifio said. He grasped the edge of the desk and stared solemnly at the empty brown chair. Get me two drinks. What is it? Alice demanded. How do you do it? Mirrors? Lighting? By fusing the DNA of an octopus with a human in vitro donor egg and growing it to maturity in a government bunker hidden away from prying eyes. Listen, we're all in the profession. There are no secrets here. <laughs> the actor's secret. Complete knowledge of octopi DNA. <laughs> it's terrific. It's completely on the level. Now here's the angle. I'm going to put this guy into your act. Wait till the crowds get a load of Mistifio's magic then. With Horatio in the background pulling the strings, he'll make Thurston look like an amateur parlor entertainer. Mistifio turned to me stiffly. What? He said frigidly. Makes you think I need an invisible man to help me in my act. I am perfectly capable of astounding and amazing an audience by myself. I only need one assistant to do the majority of my act for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're quoting your own press notices now, I said. I know. I wrote them. And what makes you think I'm not as good as Thurston? Mistifio asked in an injured voice. Ah, temperament, I murmured. I turned to Alice. You work on him. You can see that Horatio will be a good thing, can't you? You don't want your act to die, do you? You don't want it to be like in Cincinnati, do you? Or in Dubuque? Or in that Potbellies at DFW Airport? <laughs> I know that Potbellies well. Yeah, well, <laughs> listen, when you want to get a wreck in the ten minutes before you get on a plane, <laughs> it's a great time for a magic trick. <laughs> Mr. Flanagan? It was Horatio. His voice sounded apologetic. I don't want to disturb you, but... What has all this got to do with getting me into the army? You sound more like a booking agent than the soldier's friend. Hey, listen. If you watch the opening of In the Army now with Polly Shore, you don't expect him to get in the army either, but somehow it all works out, okay? <laughs> that was a good documentary. Alice looked at me. Heel, she said. What kind of line are you giving him? Horatio, I said. I am disappointed. I expected a little trust from you. Didn't I tell you you might be a while before I get things set? This angle I'm working now will put you practically into the army. Yeah? How? 
I'm going to line you up doing an act for the U.S.O. I'm going to have you sing harmony while the fourth Andrew sister that has a real bad menthol habit lip syncs. <laughs> Does that show you my heart's in the right place? There will be a short pause for catcalls and boos. And then the Betsy DeVos commencement speech will continue. <laughs> oh, Tyler. Alice murmured. All right, Horatio said with a sigh. I'll go along with you. Fine, I said. And just to get you used to army life, I'm going to start paying you 50 bucks a month. I might have to garnish that for you being 90% absent without leave, though. <laughs> you great, big, generous man, Alice said. And I think there was a twinge of sarcasm in her voice. Now, that's no way to talk, I said. I'm doing the lad a favor. Yeah, she said. I'm sure you are. Just like a man picking up a dollar bill is doing the street cleaners a favor. Y yeah, but... Well, I guess they probably act... You know what? Fair point. <laughs> you don't understand my noble motives, I said. So I will not talk about them anymore. Tomorrow, we start rehearsing the new act. Hey, you know what? Why don't we take a break here? I think that sounds like a good idea. Alan, I've been thinking about asking our listeners, popping them the big question. Okay. It's, it's not an easy one. I think now is the time for us to both get on our knees and look deep, deep into our listeners' ears and, what? and ask them sincerely and with conviction, will you rate and review us on iTunes? Okay, we're on our knees. Where are their ears? <laughs> They're going to have to bend down, too. Everyone, get on your knees. Okay, wait a minute. I don't think we want to ask our <laughs> listeners to do that. You know what I think we do want to ask them to do? What? Is to please go to iTunes, rate and review the podcast. If you like what we do, help us out. It's free for you. It's a great thing for us. Rob, can you say anything else without making inappropriate requests from our audience? You can rate and review us on any of the other services too. Google Play, they're awesome. Whether you do it on your knees or not, I leave it up to you. That's your business. Thank you, folks. We appreciate it. Well, sir, it was absolutely amazing the way Horatio picked that act up. With his dexterous, invisible help, Mistifio performed like the paragon of all prestidigitators. Alice added a jolt of high-voltage eye appeal to the ensemble by smiling sweetly and wearing a black satin bathing suit that had been designed by some patriotic person who believed in saving material to the point of cutting down on essentials. Mm, yeah, her old gown made out of rubber and butter was, you know, just too hard to maintain with the shortages. <laughs> There's way too many coupons for those. I was sure, for the first time in my stretch in this loony business, that I had an option on a nice private little gold mine. Well, the public gold mines get so crowded on the holidays. <laughs> and I wasn't going to let anything upset my cart full of golden apples. Okay, I said. They were rehearsing on the stage of an empty theater, which was owned by a guy I'd done some favors for. 
You look pretty good, but don't let it go to your head. The act needs a lot of work. Keep at it. I'm going out to get a sandwich. Chicken salad on rye, lettuce, no tomatoes. Pickles, but only if they have half sours. Yeah, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I'm the one grabbing the sandwich. Very detailed in his lunch order. Alice put her hands on her hips and looked down at me. Everything is 50-50 with you, isn't it? She said. We do the work. You get the money. Nice, even split. Careful, beautiful, I said. You'll die of your own poisons if you don't look out. Like uh, Wallace Shawn in that movie, My Dinner with Andre. That's about E. coli, right? <laughs> you might wish it is halfway through. I waved to her and left. After I'd had a bite to eat, I went to see one of the biggest agents in the business. The guy who books all the acts into the Capitol in New York. Look, Maury, I said when his secretary had ushered me into his office, which was big enough to hold the World Series in. I finally got something terrific lined up. Maury looked up at me, and his little eyes were uninterested. He yawned and dusted a fleck of dust from the sleeve of his coat. Have a seat, then. If you're feeling like a pimp, too, you may also brush your shoulder off. <laughs> what is it? he asked. It's a magician's act that Maury shook his head. Magicians are dead. Who wants to see rabbits pulled out of a hat? By a zombie or a wraith or some kind. Whatever, dead magician. You know what I'm... I said they were dead. <laughs> this is different. This guy is good. All right, he's good, Maury said. So what? We can't use him. But you ought to at least see the act, I pleaded. It's got a honey of a girl, too. Yeah, she insults the audience with acidic comments while getting sawn in half. It's a lot like Don Rickles' early stuff. <laughs> Everyone's got to start somewhere. Girl? Maury glanced up, and there was a flicker of interest in his little eyes. Yeah, a honey. Well, Maury shrugged. I can't promise anything, but we do need an act to fill in a spot within a week or two. But whatever I get has to be good. I can't send bums to New York. Mayor Ed Koch, show promoter. <laughs> I know, I know, I said. My heart was hammering with hope. One break on the stem and I'd be set. When will you catch the act? Tomorrow will be all right? Maury nodded. I went back to the theater walking about three feet from the ground. I felt I was in at last. It was a funny feeling I couldn't analyze, but I knew I was going to be in. Did the text cut off before the words deep blank showed up? Deep blank. All right. <laughs> it was not a match game prompt. Oh, okay. Sorry. I automatically went into match game mode. When I walked into the little office backstage, I found Alice there talking to Horatio. She was saying, well... He thinks she was talking to Horatio, let's let's be honest. She was saying, there should be something you could do for the army, Horatio, as I walked into the office. Yeah, maybe you could be a radar tester or a radar test. <laughs> There's an excellent, great thought, Alan. Perfect. Horatio was standing by the desk, shoulders slumped. I had to look twice to make him out against the background of the desk in the wall. Alice shut up when she saw me. Horatio and I were just talking, she said. He was about to show me his new trick, the reappearing head, but then you just upstaged him with the reappearing ass. And yes, I did work on that for quite a while. <laughs> oh yeah, with a jerk store called. 
Yes, what did the jerk store say? They're all out of you. I thought they were closed on Fridays. It's true. They didn't call at all. I'm embarrassed just to be here. Yeah, I said. Now Horatio and I are going to do a little talking. Make yourself scarce. Alice left and I turned to Horatio. What kind of a line has she given you? I snapped. Why, gosh, Mr. Flanagan, Horatio stammered. She was just trying to help me. She's just as interested in getting me into the army as you are. She's a wonderful girl, Mr. Flanagan. There was something in his voice that brought me up with a joke. The kid had fallen for the girl as sure as I stood there. Now, look, I said gently. You really want to get set with Uncle Sam, don't you? Why, sure. Then listen to me. I'm doing everything I can for you, and I've got a deal all lined up. I was just over at the Army recruiting station, and I think everything is set. Not right away, but pretty soon. They're still trying to figure out how to check whether you have flat feet or not. Maybe some kind of plaster cast. I don't know yet. Step in some mud? Oh, come on. No, it's the army. That's, that's way too simple a solution. <laughs> Gosh, that's wonderful. Now you know who your friend is. I came over beside him and put my hand on his shoulder. I got a little piece of advice for you that I want you to take to heart. Stay away from this kid, Alice. She's no good for you. Yeah, she's very sharp. And not in the good sexual way. Huh? Huh? <laughs> now, just a minute. You can't... I'm sorry, kid, I said. I let my hand fall from his shoulder. Maybe I shouldn't tell you, but... Tell me what. It's only for your own good I'm doing this. That pretty little blonde is just going to play you for a sucker. She's already married. To the sea. I don't know how you keep missing all the anchor tattoos. <laughs> Horatio gasped. He must have been pretty sold on the girl. I don't believe it, he cried. It's God's truth. Who's the man? Horatio cried brokenly. Mistifio. Mistifio? No. You don't mean this, Mistifio. <laughs> no, no. The Jersey Mistifio or the Brooklyn Mistifio? I nodded slowly. It's been a tough break, kid, but the sooner you forget her, the better. I'd already decided I'd get rid of her. She wouldn't be hard to replace. Horatio is my gold mine. And I didn't want anyone to do a scorched earth job on him. Yeah, no one was going to do a historical reenactment of Napoleon's 1812 invasion of Russia on my shitty scheme. <laughs> but she never told me, he muttered. Naturally, I said. She'll probably even deny she's married to him now. But don't let that fool you. Listen, kid, she fools people for a living. Like when she showed you the bullet catch. You didn't think that was real, did you? Well, maybe next time she shows you the then where's my ring trick or the intact hymen illusion. <laughs> it's all fake. <laughs> so, have, you, have you ever seen uh, Penn and Teller do the intact hymen illusion? But they do it with they do it in front of the audience. All the. <laughs> The whole thing. You can you can really see what they're doing. It's pretty amazing. It's still but yep. it's still enjoyable. That's that they're incredible. 
No, sir, Horatio said. She won't make a sucker out of me. His anger must have subconsciously affected his visibility mechanism, for he was visible and his lean jaw was hard. But there was a hurt look in his clear blue eyes. That's the boy, I said. Just remember who your friends are and you won't go wrong. That's right. Remember your friends and the flat percentages you pay them off the top and the royalties you pay them per trick and the various services and charges that are so common among friends. <laughs> I won't, Mr. Flanagan, he promised solemnly. The next afternoon, Maury arrived to see the act. He was dressed in a natty pinstripe suit and he wore a big yellow carnation in the buttonhole. Hmm. Just more evidence that Marty Robbins is an unreliable narrator. <clears throat> okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, uh, Marty Robbins. Marty Robbins. Um, okay. Well, the rest of the joke's not going to go great then. <laughs> <laughs> Marty Robbins. He, he had, was... Yeah, he had a song called uh, "White Sport." coat in a pink carnation <laughs> no no he didn't well they had a song called el paso okay. where the guy dies at the end of the song so how could he have time to write the whole thing down oh that's always my question <laughs> this is this what what year is the song from roughly? oh fuck off it doesn't matter what year <laughs> the song was from okay so uh, our uh, audience prides themselves <laughs> On their Marty. knowing Marty Robbins songs, Rob. <laughs> it's true. Lord. It's true. I'd forgotten. That's our core, core audience. Marty Robbins lovers. But his sallow face was impassive. I escorted him down the dark, empty theater to the front row. Just hold your breath now, I told him. I'll have the act on stage in a jiffy. He yawned and glanced at his watch. I haven't got long, he said. I got my pre-dinner money bath and then a long night of disappointing people who have big dreams with an off-the-cuff dismissive remark. <laughs> Typical Tuesday. <laughs> I went backstage and found Alice. Hurry up, I said. Maury is waiting. She looked at me as if I'd just crawled out from the wainscoting. I've just talked to the kid, she said. He thinks I'm poison. What kind of a yarn have you been feeding him? Me? Why, honey, that hurts. Do you think your Uncle Patrick would breathe an unkind word about you? Gross. 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 Yeah. Well, it's mighty strange, she, she said. He won't even tell me what's biting him. I wouldn't pay any attention to him, I said. Perhaps it's all for the best. Hmm, she said, eyeing me shrewdly. Come on now, be a good kid and get things rolling. A lot depends on this, you know. This is your big break. You could go from two shows a week to three, maybe a lunch crowd if you really work on it. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't want to go see a magician during lunch? Why not? I went back and joined Maury. Well, the act was terrific. Mistifio had Maury's eyes sticking out inside of 30 seconds. I hadn't told Maury about Horatio. Oh, yeah, you don't want to dilute the concept with the possibility of real magic existing. <laughs> Did I mention Maury was eight years old? <laughs> I figured I'd let that angle ride for a while, but Maury was really impressed. This guy's good, he said. 
The things he does don't seem humanly possible. Of course, he didn't know that most of the effects were being created by the invisible Horatio, but what he didn't know wouldn't hurt him. And he didn't miss Alice, either. When she came on stage in her cute, abbreviated little costume, he straightened up and opened his eyes. The kid is nice, he murmured. Yeah, nice. Uh, I figured you might notice that from the way your gaze lingers on the area around her kind heart. <laughs> Are we in? I demanded. Can't say yet. I gotta talk to the act, but I'd say your chances were pretty good. I almost swooned with happiness. The break I'd been waiting for all my life was here at last. The golden apples were about to drop into my lap. When Mistifio finished his routine, I took Maury backstage. I found Alice. Here she is, Maury, I said, and she's just as nice as she looks. I shoved Alice toward him. Be nice, baby, I hissed in her ear. Maury took one of her little hands, and his eyes were interested. I kind of like the act, he said. If you could find time to be nice to me, I might like it a whole lot. All right, you know, <sighs> when you read old sci-fi and you're like, well, we don't have a warp drive yet, but at least we've progressed as a society. Yeah. Yeah. Alice takes her hand back as if it had accidentally brushed something slimy. Uh, where does the as-if come into that <laughs> sentence? I'm sorry, but I don't go with the act, she snapped. There are some things worth more to me than three meals a day and a paycheck. Okay, sister, Maury said without expression. He turned to me. Guess I made a mistake coming up here. The act is lousy. And the audience was dead silent. I couldn't hear a peep. <laughs> now, wait a minute. I yelled. You said it was good. You can't walk out now? I wheeled Dallas. Baby, baby, don't do this to me. Tell him you're sorry. Mistifio came up behind us while we were talking. What is the matter? He asked. I noticed he put an arm around Alice's shoulders. I was too distraught to think about it. Nothing's wrong, I said desperately. Alice just took offense at something Maury said. And did. And implied he would do in exchange for what she would do. So you can see there's a lot of blame to go around. It's no, it's no one person's fault here. Right, of course not. Nobody meant any harm. Mistifio drew himself up straight and he grabbed Maury by the lapels. Maury struggled to free himself, but he was pinioned helplessly. You cad! You bounder! Mistifio roared. Do you mean you've been making advances to my daughter? Oh, finally the invisible plot point becomes <laughs> visible daughter how do you like that that just goes to show you never to trust people uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maury pulled himself loose you're all crazy he shouted let me out of here he wheeled and started away but before he had taken two strides he collided with a solid unyielding invisible substance and you know what that is, Rob. Ah! It's another gelatinous cube. Yeah! All the stories have one. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, gelatinous cube. You make life worth living. He backed away a few steps, his mouth working in terror. What is it? He screamed. I'm sorry. Horatio's voice sounded in the air a few feet from Maury. Maury's face went white. 
He stared wildly about for another instant and then charged madly out of the theater, screaming in terror. Hey, come back. It's not that bad. In the second act, we lift Spider-Man up with wires and he fights the Green Goblin. (laughs) And then spends 18 minutes hanging from the ceiling. (laughs) I chased after him, but it was a hopeless effort. When I got to the sidewalk, he was gone. Moodily, I slumped back to the theater and went backstage. My big opportunity was gone, but I still had Horatio. I found Alice in the office, and she was alone. She smiled sweetly when she saw me. You too, Brutus, I muttered. Well, I guess every villain is the hero of his own story, but I I mean, Julius Caesar, this guy is in the chorus at best. Yeah, like understudy to the chorus, I think. Yeah. Then I thought about my meal ticket and looked worriedly about the room. Where's Horatio? I snapped. Horatio, she smiled, is gone. Too bad you missed him. He would have liked to say goodbye. Goodbye, I shrieked. Where's he going? Into the army, Alice said sweetly. Isn't it wonderful? You're crazy, I shouted. The army won't take him. I arranged a little something for him, Alice said. I'm sure he'll be very useful in the camouflage department. Camouflage? Why, I didn't ever think he'd go into the department that's named after the thing he was doing the whole time. Unbelievable. (laughs) I groaned and sank into a chair. Yes, said Alan pleasantly. When he learned that Mystifio was my father, not my husband, as you so cleverly told him, he was quite angry for a while. So he would have preferred he be her father and her husband? (laughs) It's complicated. Okay. But of course he felt better when he thought it over. And he was very happy to take my suggestion to apply for a commission in the camouflage. I think Horatio and I are going to get along nicely. I groaned again. Mistifio stuck his head in the door. Goodbye, he said. Ready, dear? Yes. Alice said, moving to the door. I'm ready. Now, wait a minute, I cried. Where are you two going? You're the last act I've got. Uh, I guess I'll have to go back to impersonating a magazine column, right? <laughs> it's, it's steady work, at least. I am enlisting, Mistifio said proudly. As what? Signal Corps, in charge of messenger pigeons. Mistifio flapped his coattail and a lone pigeon fluttered into the air. I've had a lot of experience with the little devils. I've got a great idea about putting them in bombs and having them peck at a screen to guide the trajectory that will actually kind of work, but be so crazy that it'll make a really fascinating Wikipedia (laughs) article. It is pretty neat. (laughs) I groaned again and dropped my head in my hands. What was left? When I looked up, Mistifio and Alice had gone. For a moment, I sat there staring about the quiet, dusty office. Then I stood up and I knew what I was going to do. I put my hat on and marched right out of the building. I didn't stop walking until I reached the Marine Recruiting Office. A big poster said, The Marines promise you action. I walked in. Nothing could be worse than what I'd just been through. I felt contented for the first time in 16 years. 
Private Flanagan was later court-martialed for stealing a Nazi duplication ray and using it to copy a potato he had already peeled so he could get out of KP duty. <laughs> it's a little, he's a little short <laughs> Just a bit. Just a bit. The end. <laughs> Well, that was a fun little patriotic farce, Alan. Oh, I thought so. I uh, I really enjoyed that one, and um, but I wasn't quite sure. You know, what would you think the moral of this particular story is? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that with the future and the dangers of super science and uh, the scandals on Broadway, there's really only one thing. Uh, war solves everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it certainly sorted out the whole job situation. They all just went out and got jobs. Unemployment is at a very low number. Well, I think the moral is, is that if you can turn invisible, um, don't tell as many people as humanly possible because some schmuck is going to try to use you. Yeah. Good tip for everyone out there. Stay opaque stay opaque people stay opaque <laughs> i hope everybody tunes in next time for another exciting interrupted okay after the gelatinous cube there is also the great ooze great. the ochre jelly <laughs> and the black pudding which has a dire variant called the elder black pudding <laughs> Which you do not want to have on Christmas Eve. I don't care what the Brits think. <laughs> Ten.